Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. And as we think about that this morning, let me just read a verse of Scripture to you out of Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, where the Christmas story is. It says this, And so it was that while they were there, that the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, when we think about this child, Jesus, who was born into the world, you can say that his birth is kind of unique, isn't it? I mean, when you think about Jesus coming in the world, I mean, who, who really has a baby in a barn? I mean, that's not the, the best of places to have a, a child, right? I mean, we know the story well. The inn was full. And so they took him around back and they found a, a place called, a, you know, a, a stable in which to have a child. Uh, most of us would probably balk at that. But, you know, when you're used to the culture in which they lived in and you're traveling in the days that they were traveling in, to have a, a place that was sheltered, to have a place that at least had some kind of heat was significant and important. And so Jesus came and he was born. And I want you to think about it. We, we think about Christmas with all the fanfare, but the reality is there wasn't a lot of fanfare around Jesus' birth, although there was a uniqueness about it in the sense that the heavens rejoiced. We had some shepherds who came and rejoiced, but only because the angels told them right about Jesus coming. So heaven proclaims the birth of Jesus coming into the world. The shepherds show up. And by the way, it, was, it wasn't until Jesus was probably two, two and a half years old before the wise men come. We always throw the wise men in with the Christmas celebration. But the reality is they were, he was about two years of age when that happened. And, you know, that was very unique, by the way, why God did what he did. Because if you remember, they brought the gifts to Jesus, very expensive gifts. And it was very shortly after they brought these gifts that God told Joseph in a dream to take his family and move down to Egypt. Why? Because Herod was about to kill all the two-year-olds in town. Isn't that kind of unique how God works and his sovereign plan? But when you think about the birth of Jesus itself, very, very quiet. As a matter of fact, he was born in Bethlehem. You know, Bethlehem is, is, is not the, the borough to be born in. That wasn't the place to be from. You know, you wanted to be from a bigger town. You wanted to be from Jerusalem. You, you, you wanted to be from a, a place that was more respected and upheld and lifted up. And yet Jesus was born in the lowly place of Bethlehem. Jesus was born to ordinary parents. Uh, he wasn't born as the king of the world to a, a king and a, and a queen. He was born to lowly people. He was born to a young girl and her new husband who, by the way, was going to put her away, but God in a dream said, no, marry her and take her as your wife. He was a simple carpenter. He wasn't a rich man. You know, it's interesting how people want to portray that Jesus was rich. Jesus wasn't rich. Matter of fact, you know, Jesus, you know, had no place to lay his head, he said. Even the foxes have holes and birds had nests, but Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus this child came into the world and yet 
without him, there is no Christmas. Not just in the name Christmas, but in reality. There would never be a Christmas celebration without Jesus. And so as I thought about this Christmas, it all began with a child. You sort of got to ask yourself a couple of questions. First of all, what's all the big fuss about? Why, why, you know, why all this celebration for a little kid that's born? Yeah, I get it. When little kids are born, when, when babies are born, there's a celebration by family, immediate family, maybe close friends. You know, there's the, the sending out of the, the birth announcement. There's the, uh, the wreath or whatever you're going to hang on the door at the hospital. And, you know, you prepare the room. There's that kind of celebration. But, you know, for all these years, Jesus has been born and been celebrated. And as we think about this celebration, what's all the fuss about? Well, here's the good news. The good news is just because Jesus came into the world, you and I can have a relationship with God the Father. That's good news, y'all. And so when I thought about this morning, what do I want to share? I thought about John's gospel. You know, all the gospel writers share a little bit about the coming of Jesus. Mark is very obscure. Mark just says this, the beginning of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark just sort of jumps into his life and begins to show us quickly how Jesus begins to minister to people. Matthew starts this way. Matthew starts with saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he begins to detail for us these generations by which Jesus was born into. And he gives us all the lineage, a very Jewish book, a very Jewish author. And then John sort of, or excuse me, Luke gives us sort of the, the, the long narrative, you know, gives in all, fills in all the details about, you know, the birth of Jesus and how John the Baptist fits in with the birth of Jesus. And we have Mary's song there. And, you know, you have this great celebration of Jesus coming as the Messiah, as the king of the world. And then John sort of begins in this celebration of the birth of Jesus this way. Listen to John's word in John chapter 1. In the beginning, he says, was the word. In the beginning was the word. John sort of jumps into the narrative of talking about Jesus coming in the incarnation by saying he was in the beginning. (laughs) Now I want you to understand something, folks. That's not the beginning of his existence, but that's the, be, the beginning of our existence. In the beginning that when human life, when the world was created and spoken into existence by God, that beginning, when that beginning happened, there was the word. And by the way, Jesus was even before that. He was before that. So what's all this fuss about, this baby coming? Well, As we think about John's narrative this morning, let me just give you three quick points this morning. Because you didn't come to hear a preacher, I understand. You came to hear kids sing. Don't shake your head, David, too assertively. All right? (laughs) Indulge me a little bit. Here's three things I want you to hang your hat on. Number one, write it down. He's God. He's God. Jesus is God. You say, what what do you you mean? I thought there was God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, hang on with me, okay? But listen to the rest of the narrative of John. In the beginning was the Word. Listen to what he says. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Listen to what he says in the text. As he begins to talk to us about the beginning of the word, as we think about Jesus being from the beginning, even before he was incarnated into human flesh, when we think about him being God, we first of all must understand this, that he coexists with God the Father. That is that they've enjoyed a face-to-face relationship for as far back as eternity is. And I don't understand that, do you? I don't understand what eternity feels like, looks like. I'm bound by a clock. I'm bound by time. And I know I got a time to get done today. Amen. I'm bound by time. I realize all this. You realize this. We don't understand eternity. We don't understand what heaven's going to be like to live where there's no clock on the wall. <laughs> where we don't have to rush to work and rush to school and rush to church and all those other great things and try to beat the Methodists to lunch today. Amen. We don't understand all those things when, it, when all that's gone. Hallelujah. That would be a great day. But let me tell you, that's Jesus' existence always. He is coexistent with God. That is, they dwell together in perfect harmony and unity. And when Jesus was in his flesh, he prayed in John 17 that his great desire was to do what? To return to the former glory. That is, to go back and be in that relationship with God the Father again, face to face in eternal coexistence. Amen? When we say that he's God, when we say that he's just like God, we mean that he's the same in essence, that everything God is, Jesus is. Amen? And we saw that all throughout the life of Jesus. Jesus healed people. How do you think he did that? Because he's God. Jesus was able to stop the wind from blowing. How did he do that? He was God. Jesus was able to calm a sea. How did he do that? He was God. Jesus was able to raise the dead. How did he do that? He was God. Jesus was able to read the minds of the people around him. How did he do that? He was God. The baby that we celebrate was God in a manger. But listen, that's not all he says here. He doesn't just say that he was God, but he goes on and he says in the text, as we read the text, that he was in the beginning with God. And then he says this, not only they coexistent and co-equal, exactly like that, he is co-creator. That is that everything we see, everything that we enjoy in the world that we see, he is co-creator. As a matter of fact, listen to how John says it. He says, in all things were made through him, And without him, nothing was made that was made. That is that Jesus was the creator of this world. As a matter of fact, Paul picks up in Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and says, not only was he creator, he's the sustainer. That is that we don't know what holds the planets in space. We don't know. What what holds all this matter together? We don't know. I'm going to tell you, we do know. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He is God. And he is creator. And everything that you enjoy, grass, trees, the moon, the stars, Jesus was there when it was spoken into existence. And when you were created and when I was created, when man was created on day six, what did God say? He said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. He was talking to Jesus. He says, we're going to make man. Isn't that awesome that he would do that? He made man to have fellowship and And enjoy being together. But let me tell you something about this Jesus. This Jesus who is coexistent, who is co-equal, who is co-creator with God. Listen, he is God contained 
in flesh. Think about God for a minute. We can't comprehend God. Listen, some of you in this room, you think you got God figured out. Can I tell you, you don't? Amen. If you have a God you can figure out, he's not God. Amen. God cannot be figured out. But think about God lowering himself to want to have a relationship with you. That's incredible. And he would do that to to the extent that he would place himself inside of a womb of a teenage girl. That she would be traveling along and then have birth in Bethlehem, an obscure place. And he would have to rely upon this Mary and this Joseph to take care of him. Think about that for a minute. God who created everything, who holds everything together, contained himself in a baby in order that his diapers would have to be changed, a bottle would have to be put in his mouth. Think about that for a minute. That just blows my mind. Why on earth would God do that? Listen to what John says. John says in his chapter 1, in verse 14, And the Word became flesh. And he did that to what? Dwell among us, and we beheld his glory. You know, in times past, God raised up prophets, and they would stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. There was times in the past when God would speak through people like Moses who would have this encounter with God at the burning bush. And even in Exodus 33, he would say, God, I desire to see you. And God would cover his face. And as God passed by, he allowed Moses to see his back. And I think about how God spoke through him. Uh, you, you think about the priests that God raised up in the Old Testament and God would speak through them. Then you think about the judges that came up and God would speak through them in the intent of the kingship would be that they would speak for God to the people and and then God gave you know the prophets and then he gave visions and he gave dreams and it's amazing how God spoke but the Hebrew writer reminds us but in these latter days God has spoken to us through his son listen the word became flesh and dwelt among us because why he was to bring and represent the glory of God in flesh to us, not to be perpetually celebrated as a baby in a manger, but no, to live a sinless, perfected life in order that he would go to the cross of Calvary and he would die on that cross, be murdered on that cross, to lay down his life on that cross in order that you and I who are lost in sin, who are depraved in our nature, who are not looking for God or seeking God, God came and found us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. He wooed us and called us to himself and he would save us by the blood of Christ. Nothing that we can do. That's the babe who became flesh, God, for you and for me. That's tremendous. And the Bible goes on and says, John says, he is the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came, God in the flesh, to live among us. But write this down. Here's the second thing I want you to think about this morning. That he is both life and light. He is life and he is light. What do we mean by that? Well, listen to what John says. And in him, verse 4 of 1 John, he said, in him was life. 
And the life was the light of men. Now I want you to stop there and think about life in Jesus. First of all, he's the giver of life. Remember he said we see, he's creator, right? That is, there is no life without Jesus. There is no life without God the Father. Amen? I mean, everything that we enjoy, all the life that's out there, all the breath that we have in our nostrils is given by the grace of God. And Jesus here, we're told, is life. He is the giver of life. We've already said it. Number two, he's the sustainer of life. Amen? All life is sustained by him. Listen, it's true. They don't know what holds matter together. But we do know it's Jesus. But John's writing a gospel to help us to understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the life that John is referring to, not just the fact that he gives life, that is the life that we enjoy. Not only does he sustain life, but listen, he's the one who gives eternal life. Listen, and not only does he give it, but listen, he bought it for us. He bought it for us. There would be no salvation, no eternal life without the babe of Bethlehem. Jesus came and he bought life for us. And then that life that he gave us became the light of men. Listen to what he says in verse 5. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it. And there was a man sent from God. His name was John, John the Baptist. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That is, through this preaching of John, preaching the light of Jesus. And he says, and he was not the light. But he was sent to bear witness of that light. <clears throat> and that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But <clears throat> as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Listen to what he says. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood... Not of the will of your flesh, but of the will, or excuse me, not of the will of man, but of the will of God. That is, listen, this light who has come in the world, Jesus is the light, but this light has come in the world. Listen, he exposes. Light is an exposer. When light comes into a dark room, it shows us what's in the room. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and the room is dark and you stubbed your toe? <laughs> yeah, you don't stub your toe as much when you turn on the light, Amen. Thank God for cell phones that are charging beside the bed. <laughs> you know, we can hit that cell phone and illuminate the room at least enough to be able to get out of the room without busting your feet up. Amen. Well, Jesus, in, in being the light, has revealed his light, has shown his light into this world. And listen, the darkness cannot overtake it. And that's, that's common sense, isn't it? When you turn on a light, the darkness doesn't swallow the light. It's the other way around. And we think about this light that comes in the world. Jesus, his light exposes. What does it expose? Listen, it exposes our sin. You and I are sinful. <laughs> you and I were born in sin. You and I were born in sin separated from God, who is holy and just and righteous. And we were filthy and dirty and separated. And Jesus exposes our condition through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he exposes that, there is a response. 
Some will respond in salvation. John says they'll believe on his name and be saved and will become children of God. And some will not. And some of you here today, you're going to have to make that decision. You're going to have to pray and ask God to open your heart. You're saying, I don't understand all this gospel. Let me tell you something. If you search them with all your heart, the Bible says you'll find them. You'll begin to pray and ask him and say, God, would you open my heart? Listen, he'll open your heart. He'll begin to expose this truth to you. And he does that even now as I'm preaching through the foolishness of preaching. He's exposing the truth. He's shining the light this morning. And he's shining it into your heart and saying, are you a follower of Christ? Have you bowed the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And today he may be calling you into relationship. He may be shining the light on some of your sin. But the, the, the sin I'm talking about, though, is the sin of depravity. I'm talking about the sin that we're born with that separates us from God. It's the sin that causes us to do all other sins. Is he shining that light in your heart this morning? If he is and he's calling you, then that's the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for us. Or I think, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 6 and 4. As he shines that light of the gospel in our hearts. And then lastly, I want you to write this down. Jesus, this king who is God, who is life and light, is also God's grace and truth. People are looking for truth today. You know, we got all this truth that's supposed to be relative. Let me tell you something. There's nothing relative about truth. Truth is either truth or it's not truth. Amen? There's nothing, nothing relative in the world. When, I, when you go to the cleaners, if you... If you ask the cleaners to take up your pants three inches and you go pick up your pants and you get them home and you took them up six inches, that's not relative, amen? That's reality. But why do we live by relativism? Because, listen, the bottom line is men live by relativism because they want to do what they want to do. And they do not want to be accountable to a God who holds people accountable. But listen to what John says as he sort of sums up for us in his first chapter in verses 15 through 18 about Jesus being grace and truth. John bore witness, he says, of him, and he cried out saying, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me, he said, is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus, yet he proclaims he's God, he's eternal. And he says, and of his fullness We have all received, and he says, grace for grace. Here's the catch. Are you ready? Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. I want you to think about truth this morning, because there is no relative truth when it comes to salvation. There's not multiple ways to God. There's only one way to God, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's the babe that was born in Bethlehem. He is the only way that any of us in this room can be right with God. You cannot be right by being a Baptist. You cannot be right by being baptized. You cannot be right by joining any kind of church. You cannot be right by giving your offering this morning. You cannot be right because you are a good person. You cannot be right by anything of your own merit, period. There is only one way to be right with God, and that is to receive the truth of God, and that is the personhood of the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other truth, ladies and gentlemen. You hear me? No other truth. When we celebrate Christmas season, we say that Jesus Christ is the reason of the season. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is the only 
reason for the season. Amen? He's the only way that we can have redemption through Christ. He is truth. When he speaks, when he gave his life, it was truth. And then he says he's full of grace. I'm thankful personally for the grace of God, aren't you? I'm thankful that God in his grace, when I was a 17-year-old boy, I'm getting ready to have a spiritual birthday on New Year's Eve. I was saved 1984 on New Year's Eve. I'm thankful I'm about to have a spiritual birthday. I'm thankful that in December of 1984, on that New Year's Eve service, that God in his grace saved a 17-year-old lost boy. I'm thankful that God reached down from heaven and shone the light of Jesus Christ in my heart, convinced me through his spirit that he was God, and he convinced me that my lostness was severe, that I was in total depravity. I was totally separated from God. But he had, a, he had a, a way for me. His way of grace was his son, Jesus Christ, to kill him on the cross in my place, to let his blood be shed in order that my sins could be washed away. But he also, listen, he rose him from the dead on the third day. Listen, to do that, to make me right with himself. All the work of God. Isn't that incredible that God's grace would do that? I don't know if you're here this morning and what your life is like, but I can tell you, we can all use a dose of grace, amen? amen? We all can use a dose of grace. And I can extend grace to you and others can give you grace and different things, but listen, there's nothing like the grace of God through Jesus Christ that will bring you into a right relationship with him. Will you bow with me? Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.